Hey, this is Dave Pryor. Welcome to Leading Agile Sound Notes. It's Friday morning where I am and where, where my guest is today. So we're going to do a couple student Q&A questions and talk about one other thing as well. So Sarah McClintock is here. Sarah, thank you for making time this Friday morning. You bet. It's always hard to get people on Friday. I schedule lots of Friday podcasts and everybody bails at the last minute. So I really appreciate you getting up in time to do this. <laughs> um, before we go into the questions that I've received from students in class recently, could you give these folks a kind of a brief introduction to your background, where you come from, kind of your approach to all this stuff? Sure. I've been working in the IT industry for over 20 years now, I believe, and the last 15 or so in Agile Transformations. My background is mostly in project management and program management, but I've also done some business analysis work. Okay, and you're mostly focused, you've been mostly focused in what kind of field? In the uh, actually insurance industry. Awesome. Um, thank you. I, and so I want to just, before we get into the questions, one of the things that I think is really interesting is, um, You've been doing Agile for 15. You've been involved in IT for like 20. And when we were doing kind of the pre-recording conversation, we were talking about product ownership and you were talking about that as an area that you're trying to learn more about. And what's interesting to me is like I get people in a two-day class and they think like, okay, I'm ready to go. And you're somebody who's been doing this. I mean, you've been around the block with this stuff a few times and you're still considering yourself to be a student of it. So what are the areas of product ownership that you're trying to dig into deeper right now? Um, yes. Uh, so I have been uh, or played the product owner role um, for teams before, and I thought I knew what I was doing, you know, and I got certified and I've actually even uh, su uh, supported um, in the CSPO training. Um, so again, I thought, you know, all this time I, I knew what I was doing. I was an expert, all this, and then coming and then into you leading. Selhorst. Yes, and then I met <laughs> Scott, and um, I've been very, very lucky to actually work directly with him on some of the clients that I've worked with, and just listening to him, I'm like, oh, I've got a lot to learn. Yeah. So I'm actually digging into his uh, product. Uh, group um, and just trying to learn as much as I can and dig in even more. But what I was missing in my eyes, what I believe uh, I was missing was actually understanding customer and clients value in the market. Um, what is valuable to get a client or a customer um, further and, you know, out in front and being able to financially make more money and things like that um, in their industry is what is valuable in the market, um, how or what's the best way to deliver um, the feature or, you know, the epic that we need to de deliver um, in priority order and, and really understanding, um, you know, the cost benefit of all that and what's going to get me there faster. Um, so really, it's about the value. And I think a lot of times that our product owners and our teams, um, when they're making decision is based off what they think, you know, it's yeah. not objective data that's going to tell me what's going to put me out front and further in, in this industry. Um, so that's what I've been focusing on learning more about. Okay. Um, because the other things, yeah, um, you can, you know, come up with 
what's my problem statement or, or um, you know, what's my acceptance criteria for this? What's going to be my goals? Those are, uh, to me, um, things that I've been able to, to do. Um, but now it's how do I get to that value and what should be implemented into the marketplace? Yeah. I think one of the things that to me is so cool about um, the work that we do is the more that you learn about it, the deeper the pool gets. And it's like you, I was talking with Scott yesterday. He was talking about product owners have to all understand. um, I forget what it was, some particular type of accounting and some kind of cognitive science. And I was just like, (laughs) I just wanted to write a vision statement. Um, So it's, it's, it's exciting to me that you're somebody who's been doing this for a while and you're a great example of somebody who's been doing it, has expertise and is still a student. Um, I think that that's, it's a mindset I wish more people had. Right. And uh, honestly, now, um, you know, where I'm at in my career today, um, I I don't know if I'd ever say I'm an expert, even in um, Scrum, you know, um, I feel that you should continuously learn all the time, improve yourself and, you know, try new experiments, you know, try things new. But I'll never say again that I'm an expert anymore um, because you got to stay out there and you got to keep learning and learn from others. Uh, Somebody may come up with something different, you know, and you just got to continue to do that. Yeah. Cool. All right. Thank you. Are you ready to work our way into the student questions? I am. Okay. So I got two. One of them is written as a question. The other one's not, but we're going to start out with the one that's a question. And since you just brought up Scrum, that's where we'll, we'll begin. Okay. Um, this is, so in, when I do the classes, there's a, a parking lot. People can put questions on for podcasts or, you know, st- stuff that if we don't get to in class, I promise to try to get them an answer. And this was one of the ones that was up on the board recently. What can I do in an organization to promote and grow our sprint reviews? So I'll just try to offer a little context. A lot of times in class, I have students who work in organizations where they're told, go do Scrum, but the stakeholders won't come to the sprint review, or the sprint review is where they think the product owner is supposed to accept the work, and they don't, either the organization or the teams are not embracing the idea of this is where we get stakeholder and or customer feedback on the finished, shippable, releasable product. So... What do you have to say about that as a coach? Yeah, so that's um, a hard one uh, because our stakeholders are usually, you know, senior executives or leaders. Um, so they have tons of other stuff to be doing, and they're not dedicated to these teams. However, um, I, I do not hold or will not hold a sprint review um, unless they're there. Uh, doesn't mean that I wouldn't have one for, you know, all the stakeholders who do show up, but the person, the, the one stakeholder or, you know, uh, I guess your main uh, approver um, should always be there or at least be demoed too. So um, starting out to get them there, I think you have to really uh, find out what they need to know, how is the best way to get them involved and demoing the work that the team has done. Um, Even if it's one-on-one or separate sessions at first, you've got to get them to see the value of what we're delivering and understand that, you know, they're in this with us. We need their approval because if there is something that's not right, we need to be able to uh, incorporate that right away into the next sprint um, or plan for that to make sure that they are getting what they want. So in the beginning, it's kind of, how can I do this best with you? Um, but really trying to experiment again on 
what works for everybody. Um, maybe it's, we're not, maybe the, the sprint reviews are too long or something like that. So we're really getting into the meat of what they need to be there for. Um, but I think once you start, you know, showing them exactly, here's what the team did. Um, he, you know, here's the successes we had. Here's some of the things that we found with this. And now here's what we're, we're delivering. I think they start seeing that most of the time. Um, my uh, stakeholders that I've started with that, uh, they actually come and they're like, oh my gosh, I love this. And so if you can just get them there, um, get them into that habit, um, they also feed off each other. So having, you know, two uh, stakeholders in a room, one that either has been showing up or whatever, um, when they say that and they talk about how they, uh, you know, enjoy, if you will, or they're happy about the progress and that's exactly what they wanted. Um, sometimes those more difficult stakeholders are like, oh, yeah, this is good. I okay. like this. And then usually um, uh, the other thing that I've noticed um, starting out teams is, you know, your first sprint review may be a little bit longer because nobody knows what to expect. And, yeah. you know, they're, they're, they're asking lots of questions. But um, I've seen to where you would schedule your first ones um, an hour long. And by the second or third sprint, it's down to 15, 15 to 30 minutes, you know, so it gets faster because people get into that habit and you know how it works. Yeah. 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 And then they really see because by uh, basically three to four sprints, um, your team should be performing at uh, a highly functional velocity and they, they kind of know their team and, yeah. and where they're going to be at that time. So um, they're, they're really functioning really well there. Okay. So I, I want to try an experiment and see, see what happens. So what it, let's assume for a moment that I am some stakeholder at a company you're coaching at and I am, too busy, don't see the value. I just want you to go make the teams too scrum. I don't understand why I have to be bothered by all this stuff. Um, how would you pitch to me why I need to come to the sprint review? Oh, golly. Now you're putting me on the spot here. Um, how would I pitch that? So <laughs> the first thing I ever do with any of my stakeholders is um, I try to get to know them um, and, and what makes them tick. Um, you know, what, what they like, um, how they approach things, um, just, you know, from a relationship standpoint, I get to know them. Um, so depending on, you know, that their type of personality would be how I would, um, approach them. So if I have someone who's competitive, um, you know, who likes to be, you know, the best and first and things like that, then I play on that. And I say, okay, well, um, you need to be there to help support this team. So, you know, they're delivering good quality products and they're, you know, maybe beating that other team. <laughs> um, you never want to compare teams, but you got to go out to find out that stakeholder's personality. Well, it could be, could also be how they're performing or are perceived against another stakeholder, right? Right, right, right. Um, so I've had competitive uh, executives that I, that, 
you know, that's how I, I won them over. Um, I also had stakeholders that didn't want anything to do with it. And it's just making them understand that this team is really working hard. And even to have you there for 15 minutes of a sprint review would show them that you actually care about the work that they're doing and delivering. And um, that will make them produce more and faster knowing that they're providing the value just to you even. Um, So just trying to play on that personal standpoint. um, A little bit of it is ego as well, right? Yeah. You show up and, you know, wave to them. They'll be like, Oh, so happy. Yeah. Yeah. And and that you're actually in the room. Uh, They never get FaceTime um, with executives a lot of the time. Um, And again, I even try to take uh, the executives to the Gemba. Um, Take your executives there. Um, You know, if, if you can do the demo right then and there. Uh, they're there. Um, yes. They're seeing the the team at work. Um, you know, they're seeing if they have a nice team space with um, all their their metrics and their wireframes and things like that around the room. That executive is also seeing that. Um, but the biggest thing I found with that is the team. They're like, oh my gosh, I am actually doing things that matter to this person. Yeah. So I so try to get them involved. Could you explain real quick, since you brought it up, what Gemba means? <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Let's go back. Um, but it's actually came from Toyota manufacturing, um, kind of the lean management system, but it's taking, uh, taking people or executives in this, this case, um, to the work. And it's kind of coming from that. Well, it is coming from that manufacturing term where you go to the floor of a manufacturing floor and you uh, see the team at work and you, you know what they're doing, but it's really taking them to, to the work. And again, it's more about kind of the motivation of that team and that their work really matters. And, you know, people are seeing um, what they're producing and, and that's why, you know, Team rooms are a big thing with metrics and, um, you know, where things happen. Yeah, where things happen, going to the work, going to the Gumba. Gumba. Um, But that's why I like visual boards too, because if it's in, you know, a tool, which is great for uh, history and analysis, but if it's out in front on visual boards, then um, people can see it. You cannot hide from that. It's very transparent and it's real time. Awesome. All right. Thank you. And that might be a great segue into our second question. So um, this is not actually a question. It was just a statement that was written on a post-it, <laughs> but it said stakeholder demands for timelines or deadlines being an impediment for the team. Um, and, and based on my conversations with the, the folks in the class, um, my understanding of this is that this person works in an organization where they've decided to switch over to some form of agile probably scrum since it was a a scrum class and they're still getting pressure from above to meet a certain date or to provide a Gantt chart like timeline, like one of the milestones we're going to hit. And this is obviously creating some challenges for the team. So I'm, I'm wondering from a coaching perspective, you could first explain to any stakeholders that are listening, like what kind of impediments this would produce for a team, but then as a coach, like how we would try to work past those or through those. 
Right. Uh, this is actually an excellent question. Um, and everybody uh, has this issue um, with everyone I've worked with. It's, um, you know, a stakeholder has said, I need this, uh, this uh, feature by this date and you've got it, you've got to hit it or, you know, just that pressure of getting it done um, before or even um, after a team has, you know, even received the work. Um, that's hard to get out of. Um, I will say every stakeholder, everything that we do um, has to have a timeline. Um, you have to be able to communicate those things. Um, many different reasons why. One, you know, we have to do sometimes press releases or communications or training or whatever those things are, we have to be able to tell those people receiving our products um, when they're going to get it. So deadlines and, and schedules are going to have to happen. Um, what I try to focus the teams more so on is, okay, here's what they've given us. Tell me what you can actually do. Um, I use the word commitment, and I know that sometimes in the industry they change that to forecast. Or I'm estimate. a big fan of commitment. I do I, I'm a commitment girl. I'm all about commitment. Yes, I am a commitment girl, and I, I, I get frustrated when people challenge me on that word. But the thing is, is it's my team or me saying I'm going to do something and then doing it. That is building trust, and that's also. Uh, you know, delivering and I, I'm big on delivery, you know, so I'm going to poke it at this for a second. I you bet. <laughs> try to highlight something. So I want to make sure that everybody who's listening understands that. Um, and my assumption is that when you're talking about this, part of the idea is that the team is not going to commit to anything that they're not comfortable doing. So Correct. just because the stakeholders are asking for stuff, doesn't mean we have to do it, which is the old way. They, they would commit to whatever they were told to commit to. Part right. of their responsibility is to not promise anything that they're not sure they can do. Exactly. And you know, the other problem with that is, is when you have a senior executive or say a CIO or a CEO or somebody like that saying, I need this by then, what are we all used to from our past is yes. And then we miss it. We miss it. We never want to tell our executive no, right? So everybody will kill themselves to try to get there, but they know there's impediments. There's, you know, they get into the code and it's, you know, more difficult or, you know, things like that. Um, but they won't tell an executive no. So that's right. where I think people need to stop. And you're not saying no, you're saying I can only do this. And so what I try to do is say, you take that information, you, you know exactly what, so this is the other thing is, what do they want? I'm not, I shouldn't be getting from my stakeholder how to do something. I just need to know what they want and why. And once I know that, then my team can take that. They can uh, plan it out and say, okay, we think this is how we'll do it. This is how long we think everything will be to meet their criteria of the what and the why. And then um, they can say, you know what, by that date, if you need something by that date, here are the top things that I can give you and commit to meeting that by that date. Yeah. Now, it, may, it may not be everything. Hey, you may get lucky and it is um, because the how 
um, you could figure out the best way to deliver everything they want, um, you know, because you get to come up with those creative ways and the, the right work at the, you know, right way um, to deliver it. But most of the time you can say, I can give you all of this by that date. Right. Or I can give you this much by that date, but I can't give you all of this until this date. So you can then, you know, negotiate those things and reprioritize those things. But you can say, I can give you these, say, five features by the date that you want. And then I can give you the other three by this date. Or I can give you all of it by this date. And Um, and they might not be happy, but at least this way you're letting them have the information they need to make informed choices. I mean, I just did, because this just came up on a podcast with Mike recently about how, you know, he'll have to go, he used to have to go to people and say, look, exactly what you just said. And then they're like, well, okay. They've never been told no before, but now they're being told no. And they're being told you can have five of the 10, which five do you want the most? And at least yes. that lets them decide. Yeah. And, and the other thing too is, um, they, they, they get used to that. Right. And then they stop making deadlines and they let the team figure it out. And then they are able to, um, hear what the team has to say first and then set dates and set communications, but they have to get into that habit. Um, and, and, and they're not being told, no, they're being said, this is what my team can do and deliver with high quality, um, either meet or beat that date even. Um, and Hey, if they can beat that date and bring everything in, uh, how, how great of a conversation that's going to be every sprint review when you have them in there. Yeah. And then as we start producing, we can look at the data that's coming in and be able to, uh, every sprint, every two weeks I do most of the time, um, sprint review, I can say, okay, we can now start bringing more in and maybe hitting that date with everything. Do you want to talk about those things and, yeah. and re, you know, re-communicate those things. So what if, 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 I mean, I, everything you just said was awesome, but the thing that the question that I'm hearing in the back of my head, cause I'm always thinking about the students is if it's somebody who's never been in the situation where they've had to tell some executive VP, no, you can't have everything. Um, this is, I guess, similar to the, how do you coax people into attending a sprint review? how, or what advice would you give to somebody if I've never told an executive no before? I don't, I mean, there's a courage issue. There's an experience issue. There's like all these other things that I, I don't know how to do or I've never done. Um, what kind of advice or counsel would you offer somebody in that situation? Like they're, they're going to have to go tell some stakeholder no. They're going to have to say you can't have it all, but they've never done that before and they're terrified of it. So what I typically like to do is uh, I'm a big data and metrics person. Okay. Um, the, the reason for that is, is you, you can't hide from that, right? It's very objective. And I could go in and tell a stakeholder, um, I don't feel like this team can deliver this. And here's why. Yeah. But there's no meat behind it. But if you take data in, um, I, I know people are big Gantt chart people, um, but if you say, here's the, 
the epic or the feature, depending on what level you want to deliver that in. Um, and, you know, you show even, um, I don't want to call it a Gantt chart, but you show the schedule of each feature yeah. um, for them. But that's true data that's behind, you know, a team's velocity, um, uh, you know, what they've been, what their trend has been over the last three sprints, things like that. Um, if you use data to support that, that's objective. You can't hide from data. Yeah, um, you can't so, argue with history and math. Right. So I really try to uh, use things like at Leading Agile, we have different executive summaries like our 30-day reports and our 90-day roadmaps and um, things like that that I try to go in there with that data. Um, and then I have that story behind it that has the details of that. What, what produces that? If it's the team's velocity, if the team's skill set, maybe you have a technical uh, skill set matrix that says, you know, say it's something being developed in a web app, but yet you have, and this probably wouldn't happen, but it's first thing in my head, but I have only mainframe developers. Sure. So they're also learning along the way, but we're trying to turn this team from a mainframe team into a web team, things like that, um, that kind of shows the timelines as well. Um, I'm trying to think, uh, the, you know, quality results, um, you know, the risk scores of, uh, you know, what the risk is to this feature. Um, so you, so you need to find out, I mean, not, you're going to need history and data, but you're also going to need to know what data points are going to resonate most strongly with these stakeholders. I mean, I, I always talk about it in class. Like I show up with history and math and I let them punch me in the face until their hand gets tired. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> well, I mean, it's not that healthy, but I think if you can, it, you, you brought up the thing before about understanding what motivates them. And if I think if, I think if you can figure out what data points drive their decision making, then it's going to be easier for you to have that conversation. Right, right. And with data points, you you mentioned, um, you know, you can go in there with the history, but you can also go in there with this team um, has done something simpler or something like this before. Yeah. Um, so you're right sizing it to something that's been delivered, and you can again use some of that history, but say, okay. This is the same uh, complexity, same uh, type of work that this team has delivered before, before it took them this long. Yeah. Um, if the team feels like, you know, they, they still would deliver it um, or because they've learned once and was able to deliver something, um, sometimes or most of the time teams that I've seen, um, once they have something relative to the same type of work they're getting now, um, they're actually able to uh, deliver it faster um, because they learn from that uh, experiment um, with, the first delivery. Yeah. Um, but sometimes it's the exact same, you know, maybe it, you know, it's complex coding, um, things like that, but sometimes it may be the same, but that team is the one who's committing to that. And, and again, because we do have to, um, communicate to stakeholders and, um, you know, there's other teams that may be dependent on our work. Um, our teams have to understand that when we say this, um, we really have to hit this and, and try to deliver as soon as possible. But um, you're relatively telling, you know, a stakeholder too. And if you have that data um, that supports that, then the stakeholder's like, oh yeah, it is going to take them that long. So let's, let's, you know, meet this date and I'll go communicate this. And 
we'll, you know, stay on top of it and continue to monitor it. Yeah. Cool. This was great. Thank you very much for doing this. I really appreciate it. You bet. Um, if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, so I, uh, use LinkedIn a lot so they can find me on LinkedIn, um, okay. at Sarah McClintock. Um, there is, uh, some famous Sarah McClintock's out there. So just make sure you're looking for me. <laughs> well, I'll make sure to include a link in the show notes. Okay, cool. Um, cool. And your leading agile email as well. So they can contact you directly, but I, I really appreciate you taking time out of your morning and, and thanks very much for helping with this. You bet. Thanks, Steve.